Long History. One year of long history, the most memorable events. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Long History. We're going to do something a bit different now. As anyone who follows Long History knows, we like to follow a long document with a couple of short episodes. And we've just finished Hernando de Soto's journey around the southern states of the US. But looking back, the previous document was after Magellan, which was only 10 episodes in itself, so it wasn't really worth summarising in the same way as other documents. So I noticed that we've just reached a year of long history. So thanks to everyone who's accompanied us on these voyages across the Atlantic, the Pacific and around the world. At Long History, of course, we take source documents from history and split them up into 10 minute chunks for those people who want the full detail. So there's plenty of brief histories, short histories, summarised histories out there. What we wanted to do is give you the whole history. Perhaps to answer the question, how do we actually know that? And in many cases, these are just some of very few documents that tell us, for example, about Columbus's journey across the Atlantic, about Magellan's voyage around the world, and other things such as the colonisation of the Philippines, and early exploration of the United States. These are the very sources themselves. Things don't go back any further than this. So in this first year of long history, we've covered eight documents in total. And so what I wanted to do in this episode is take a look back and revisit those documents with a brief introduction to each one and then a passage from what I think is the most memorable event in each um, document. And without giving any spoilers, in these world changing events, we've got betrayal, death, murder, mutiny, colonization and piracy. So there's plenty to be going on with there. So as I say, we've covered eight documents, but I'll put them in chronological order. So in this way, we build up a little bit of a history of the age of exploration. And much of this, of course, is my personal opinion. What do you think are the most memorable points of these documents? So let's get going with one year of long history, the most memorable events. Of the eight documents we've covered in the first year of long history, the first one is from the Journal of Columbus. This, of course, is a world changing event. And this is one of the key events that kicked off the age of exploration. And the event I've chosen here is the first landing of Columbus in the Americas. This is from episode 4 of Long History series, and it took place on the 12th of October 1492. This is the quotation describing one of the momentous events in history. On Friday they arrived at a small island of the Lucayos, called, in the language of the Indians, Guanahani. Presently they saw naked people. The admiral went on shore in the armed boat, and Martin Alonso Pinzon and Vicente Yanez, his brother, who was captain of the Niña. The admiral took the royal standard, and the captains went with two banners of the Green Cross, which the admiral took in all the ships as a sign, with an F and a Y and a crown over each letter, one on one side of the cross, and the other on the other. Having landed, they saw trees very green and much water, and fruits of diverse kinds. The admiral called to the two captains, and to the others who leaped on shore, and to Rodrigo Escovedo, secretary of the whole fleet, and to Rodrigo Sanchez of Segovia, and said that they should bear faithful testimony that he, in presence of all, had taken, as he now took, possession of the said island for the king and for the queen, his lords, making the declarations that are required, as is more largely set forth in the testimonies which were then made in writing. So that's the end of the quotation, and as often happens in these quotations, nothing dramatic is actually happening here in itself. But the implications of what will stem from Columbus's declaration that he now owns this land are quite staggering. So from one world-shattering event to another, we move on to the document written by Pigafetta about the Magellan fleet's journey around the world. 
Now, I have to word that carefully because it's tempting to say Magellan's first voyage around the world or something like that. But due to the second memorable event here, we know that Magellan didn't actually make it all the way around the world. So here we have Bigafetta's description of Magellan's death. It's from the 27th of April 1521 and took place in the central Philippine Islands. As this quotation begins, Magellan has gone into battle with some indigenous people who have refused to acquiesce to the Spanish. Thus did we fight for more than one hour, refusing to retire farther. An Indian hurled a bamboo spear into the captain's face, but the latter immediately killed him with his lance, which he left in the Indian's body. Then, trying to lay hand on sword, he could draw it out but halfway, because he had been wounded in the arm with a bamboo spear. When the natives saw that, they all hurled themselves upon him. One of them wounded him on the left leg with a large cutlass, which resembles a skimtar only being larger. That caused the captain to fall face downward, when immediately they rushed upon him with iron and bamboo spears and with their cutlasses, until they killed our mirror, our light, our comfort and our true guide. So there we have Pigafetta's description of the death of Magellan on the 27th of April 1521. Just five years later, in May 1526, ten months into their own journey, there is another significant event in the Pacific. This is from the document that we've called After Magellan, and this is about a man called Loaisa's attempt to repeat Magellan's voyage to the Spice Islands. However, his luck runs out just like Magellan's ran out, although in completely different circumstances. After repeated attempts, Loaisa and his expedition have finally rounded the Magellan Strait on the southern tip of South America and have entered the Pacific. However, they're already battered and bruised in a dire state. And in this quotation, we see the result of that terrible time. In the month of May 1526, the captain ship, the two caravels and the patache left the strait. Within a few days, there was a great storm which separated us all from each other, never to see them again. And, due to the heavy seas we encountered, the ship was opened up in many parts, having endured a great deal, and so we took on lots of water, in great quantities which proved too much for our two pumps. Every day we thought we would be drowned. Furthermore, the allowance for each head was reduced, due to the many men from the ship that had been lost that had come aboard. In this way, due to our exhaustion and lack of food, our misery was great and some men died. Among those who died were Tejera, the treasurer, and Rodrigo Bermejo, pilot of the said ship. On the 30th day of the month of June, the Captain General, Fray García de Loaiza, died, and after consulting a secret proviso of His Majesty, Juan Sebastián de Cano was sworn in as Captain General. So although Magellan died at the hands of local people in the Philippines, Loaiza didn't even make it that far, starving to death in the Pacific, it seems. And at a not dissimilar time to Loaiza's journey across the Pacific, the Spanish were also exploring Northern America. And our next quotation takes place only two years after Loaiza's death. And in November 1528, the following events took place. Cabeza de Vaca is the man who wrote this text, and he is describing Pamphilo de Narvaez, the leader of the expedition. The two men are in makeshift boats in the Gulf, having taken to the sea in an increasingly desperate attempt to return home. The men need food and water quickly. And in this quotation, Cabeza de Vaca asks his leader what they should do next. We rowed until near sunset, but the governor, having in his boat the healthiest of all the men, we could not by any means hold with or follow her. Seeing this, I asked him to give me a rope from his boat, that I might be enabled to keep up with him. 
but he answered me that he would do much if they, as they were, should be able to reach the land that night. I said to him that since he saw the feeble strength we had to follow him and do what he ordered, he must tell me how he would that I should act. He answered that it was no longer a time in which one should command another, but that each should do what he thought best to save his own life, that he so intended to act, and saying this, he departed with his boat. So in this narrative we have Cabeza de Vaca's ultimate condemnation of Pamphilo de Narvaez. The former asked his leader for help, asked his leader for advice, and instead of taking charge and attempting to save his men's life, to all intents and purposes the leader just runs off. Now despite being betrayed by his leader, Cabeza de Vaca makes it back to the Spanish-speaking world, whilst nothing else is ever heard of Pamphilo de Narvaez. The next event takes place in late April, perhaps early May of 1540, 12 years after the previous events. But Cabeza de Vaca is still indirectly involved because he has encouraged the next expedition to take place. Hernando de Soto leads that next expedition. And so many things take place here that it was hard to pick out one in particular. But one thing that did stand out about this expedition, written by a man called the Gentleman of Elvers, was that for the first time in any of these documents, women take a prominent place. Now, they have appeared in other documents, but only peripherally. Whereas in late April, perhaps early May 1540, we meet a female leader. And the gentleman of Elvas even apparently reports some of her words, although that's obviously slightly dubious. In this quotation, this female leader is called a cacica. And these events take place somewhere around South Carolina. After a little time, the cacica came out of the town, seated in a chair, which, some principal men having borne to the bank, she entered a canoe. Over the stern was spread an awning, and in the bottom lay extended a mat where were two cushions, one above the other, upon which she sate, and she was accompanied by her chief men in other canoes with Indians. She approached the spot where the governor was, and, being arrived, thus addressed him. Excellent Lord, be this coming to these your shores most happy. My ability can in no way equal my wishes, nor my services become the merits of so great a prince. Nevertheless, good wishes are to be valued more than all the treasures of the earth without them. With sincerest and purest goodwill, I tender you my person, my lands, my people, and make you these small gifts. The cacica presented much clothing of the country, from the shawls and skins that came in the other boats, and... Drawing from over her head a large string of pearls, she threw them about his neck, exchanging with him many gracious words of friendship and courtesy. So this is another of those events where not much actually seems to take place. But as I say, this is a rare, very rare example of a female voice in these texts, albeit very indirectly recounted. And anyone who's followed this particular document will know how this episode soon turned sour. So that was from 1540. In the meantime, the Spanish are still exploring the Pacific and trying to find more direct routes to the Philippines and the Spice Islands. And the next quotation we have is from a document called The Voyage to Colonise the Philippines. And this takes place on the 1st of June 1565, which is certainly a momentous event in the history of the Philippines when the Spanish decided that they would set up their first settlement on Cebu Island in the central Philippines. This is a dramatic moment when the Spanish have returned more or less to the same place that Magellan was killed, and because of that previous visit by the Spanish, Legaspi, on this voyage, decides that they will set up their settlement there. As this quote begins, the Spanish are on their ship, and they are trying to get a message out to the people on land. 
They went and received a response not to land because their king was not present, but that he would come tomorrow. We waited one day and went to ask for peace once again, and once again they threatened the fieldmaster with lances and threw stones at the boat, so he boarded the captain ship and told the captain general. For this reason it was decided to take the village and populate it, and from here send the captain ship to New Spain. Then the preparations were made, and all of the artillery of the ship was armed on the land side. And all the soldiers embarked in the boats and dinghies on the outer side, and they were ready, so that after the artillery fired, they would take the boats onto land, and some would go to take the many boats that were in the water, as they had come from another island to help these. The captain's ship and the rest began to fire. They saw houses fall and Indians flee, with no Indian remaining. They left the village empty. So that is the very beginning of the Spanish colony on the Philippines on the 1st of June 1565. Sometime after this, the Spanish settlement has been established for about a year, I think, from memory. And in the next document, the Philippines' first Spanish colony, there are many dramatic episodes, including a number of mutinies. And the most extreme mutiny takes place in the following quotation. But this is a slightly difficult quotation to put in chronological order, because although it's quoted well after the um, colony has been set up on the Philippines, it actually takes place some months before so we can't be quite sure of a precise date here, but these are the dire events that take place on the San Jeronimo, which is a relief ship which is found wandering around the Philippine Islands. And in this document we'll find out that this relief ship, on its journey from New Spain to the Philippines, underwent mutiny after mutiny, leaving the ship in almost total anarchy. And the first quotation takes place just days after the ship left New Spain. And this quotation is initially talking about the captain of the ship. Upon setting sail, they said, he did not pay enough attention to the responsibilities of his position, and he paid no attention to resolving some things that occurred and took place on the ships. Firstly, some arguments, and words that the sergeant major had with his son the ensign, and as the sergeant major was also master of the galleon, he took the side of the seafarers, and he, and Lope Martin the pilot, and Juan Felipe de Campo, and others of his company, and some sailors who were on the pilot's side, plotted together, and alongside them was the minor sergeant, who was called Pedro Núñez. They conspired against the captain, and they behaved contemptuously and shamelessly with him in words and deeds, having little respect for him, and killing a horse that he brought with him, without it being known who could have done it. And although his friends, as it seemed bad to them what had happened, they told him and notified him of what they knew about this business, asking him to put place a guard on himself telling him that whoever killed the horse could shamelessly do something worse. He laughed this off, dismissing it all, and thus they agreed to kill him, because he had not offered up any suitable solution. And one night, while he was sleeping in his chamber, they entered and stabbed him and his son to death. Now that is actually a bit of a tangent from the main events that take place during the establishment of the first Spanish colony but that is just the first round of deaths that take place on that ship as it attempts to make its way to the Philippines. And so we reach the final document that we've covered this year in long history, which is Francis Drake's Voyage About the World. And it's around 14 years after the previous events that the following quotation takes place. And it's interesting that we've had documents from about 80 years, almost a century of Spanish exploration. But now in this document, the English are beginning to get their act together and they're also now deciding that they would also like a bit of a slice of the pie. 
interesting throughout this document is the explicit and open rivalry between the Spanish and the English. They pretty much seem to hate each other. And we have an example of why they might hate each other in this particular quotation. Now in Francis Drake's document again there were many events and it was hard to pick one that stood out but the piracy that took place somewhere around the middle of the document in episode 11 here particularly stood out for me. Particularly in the way that the English seem to be revelling in their piracy and quite openly see the Spanish as legitimate targets giving us a sense that a new power is emerging here. And the following events take place in late January and early February 1579 off the western coast of South America in northern Chile. The next place likely to afford us any news of our ships, for in all this way from the height where we builded our pinnace, there was no bay or harbour at all for shipping, was the port of the town of Arica, standing in 20 degrees, whither we arrived the 7th of February. There's a bit of a gap here and then we continue. It is inhabited by the Spaniards. In two barks here we found some 40 and odd bars of silver, of the bigness and fashion of a brickbat, and in weight each of them about 20 pounds of which we took the burthen on ourselves to ease them, and so departed towards Chowley, with which we fell the second day following, viz. February the 9th, and in our way to Lima we met with another bark at Arequipa, which had begun to load some silver and gold, but having had, as it seemed from Arica by land, some notice of our coming, had unloaded the same again before our arrival. Yet in this passage we met another bark loaden with linen, some of which we thought might stand us in some stead, and therefore took it with us. So again the events here are couched somewhat in rather convoluted language, but there's actually a lot of piracy taking place in these events. And we can see also a hint of the fear that the Spanish have of the arrival of the English people when they've loaded a ship up but quickly unloaded it when they hear that the English are coming. So perhaps the main drama there is by reading between the lines. Here we see the growing confidence of the English as it were, and the increasing rivalry with the Spanish, which will reach its peak some nine years later with the Spanish Armada when the Spanish attempt to invade England. So I hope you've enjoyed that quick run through through all the documents that Long History has covered in its first year. Some truly world changing events, some other very dramatic events, and perhaps some events there where we only really realise their true drama when we look between the lines. So that's it for the latest episode of Long History. Thank you for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you gave this episode a like. And when we have these individual episodes, it means that another document is about to begin and the preparations for the recording of that document are already well underway. So please, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to be informed of when that document is released. There is certainly lots more to come, so thanks for listening, everyone. It's really appreciated. And goodbye.